Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Rory from the Fuck You Taro Lady podcast. Brutal title. Um, Rory had me on his podcast a couple weeks ago to have a chat because that's all we do in isolation now is do podcasts. Um, And I thought it'd be cool to get him on here to talk about a record he really likes. And he chose Miss Machine by Dillinger Escape Plan. Again, a record that I'm not like heaps familiar with. I obviously know a bunch of the songs. And when this record came out, they're obviously quite a big band at the time. So I heard a lot of it, was very familiar with the record that it was Mike Patton. So it was cool to talk to someone who's a big fan of the record and dive into the music and everything about the band a bit more. And, you know, talking to someone who does a podcast themselves is pretty easy. So it was fun. Um, go check out Rory's podcast. Again, it's called Fuck You Taro Lady. Uh, I think it's when you look it up, you just have to do F-U-T-L because Apple uh, doesn't like swears. Um, so go check that out. Lots of cool interviews on there with uh, lots of brutal people who love music and play music and stuff. So it's sick. Um Anyway, enjoy episode 90. 90 episodes. Fucking getting there. Only took me five years of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Rory talking about Dillinger Escape Plans, Miss Machine. Fucking brutal. Rory, thank you for joining me on my podcast. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, we had a chat the other day for your podcast. So before we fucking dive into talking about a record, let's talk podding for a bit because it's <laughs> basically all I'm doing with my life at the moment is talking to people. Just um, having watching Star Trek, I assume. Oh, man. It's... That is, it's 50-50 at this point. It's just <laughs> do a podcast, watch Star Trek. That's how I live my, that's how I get through my days. Um, We're talking about yeah, podcasts. So how did you, how did, yeah, you got Star Trek on my head now. I'm just thinking about Jean-Luc. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> how, how did you, how did, uh, how did you kick off your podcast? What got you inspired to start doing it? Uh, well, essentially, I was a part of a podcast called The Key of Solomon Podcast for many years, a couple of years ago. Uh, that was with my best friend, Matt, who drums in Black Helm. He started it mm-hmm. as like a wing where like I was going to do video stuff and he was going to do a podcast and we made some t-shirts. And we just It was all the things we wanted to do. And we just kind of mushed them all together and just put it under one kind of umbrella of Key of Solomon, I guess. And then yep. I kind of shoehorned my way in into the podcast, I think about episode seven. I was like, hey, you know what you need, Matt? You need a bit of a third heat, you know? So I kind of like muscled my way <laughs> in and then it became our show. And then we did that for a couple of years. And then he just got busy with like work and playing in bands and all the things that I guess stopped you from doing your podcast when you had your hiatus. Yeah. And uh, I was just kind of like, yeah, but I don't play in a band and, you know, my work life still gives me a lot of freedom to do this kind of shit. So, it was a long time coming to start the podcast back again. And I was like, ooh, do do I keep the same name? But it's like missing half the people. So, I thought, nah, I'll do a clean break. Um, I went and saw a tarot lady and she told me I should be doing something more valuable with my life and a whole bunch of other reaffirming nice things that a 
charlatan would tell you to do when you are paying the money. Um, yep. And then I kind of felt uh, after that experience, I felt a little bit had uh, when there was a, a... She told me this thing in the kind of tarot meeting, tarot card flipping. And then yep. it turned out it was kind of just like this really catch-all uh, Timothy Leary quote. And it was like, oh, that bitch lied to me. And then I had this fuck you tarot lady thought in my head. And then that was thought that was a really good idea to call the show that. Um, <laughs> and that's that's pretty much where it came from. I made a video, it's on YouTube, but about like kind of the uh, the origins that are a little bit more, pretty much is what I just said, but it's got video, so it's more fun. But I'll have to re-edit it at some point and put it up again so people can see it. Because yeah, it's a pretty good origin story and people often ask what was with the tarot gimmick. And uh, it actually, when they find out that it actually had to do with tarot, it was like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's not just some dude taking a uh, pretty good gimmick. Uh, it's very woo-woo's in right now, you know? So I thought, fuck it. You know, I didn't want to pe- have people think that I was just capitalizing. It really did come from a place of woo-woo. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't even think to, when we were doing your podcast, I didn't even think to ask about it. I think probably because I'd listened to them before. So I was just like, oh, yeah, this is just what he does in the show. I'll, yep, sounds good. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a good enough gimmick on the surface that you're like, oh, yeah, that's just a cool kind of idea. And I think it to me eliminated the need to like number the episodes if you want to have other, like the same guests on again you can do that without it being too much yeah. trouble and it just kind of makes it feel like i don't know numbering podcasts is tricky because you don't want people to i don't know think or judge and i think it's really difficult to get guests when you first start when it's like do you want to be the guest four on my podcast and it's like no one wants to fucking yeah. be guest number four you know so it's like maybe if you take that number away from people they'll just scroll on the instagram and assume there's enough guests that it's like you know there's enough content there to dive into to dupe them with thinking that it's professional enough to come on the show i think all one of the big things i've learned in while restarting this was i mean i guess i I started doing this like five or six years ago or whatever and i looked back over like the first posts i made of the this podcast on the instagram page for it and i was like man six years ago we were just posting whatever bullshit pictures we wanted on the internet like and then now like if like the top part of it now is like relatively well i just pick like relatively well composed photos and like things like that i look back and i'm like i just posted a screenshot of the apple thing and i posted a (laughs) picture of myself like drinking a beer like that's really good brand advertising for myself it's really funny like and i think if you look at like key of solomon's instagram yours yours looks really good that's why that's kind of why i say this thank you so much yours looks great that's um that's all thanks to my uh big brother gus uh who we'll probably end up talking about on this podcast if we're talking about music um he Mm -hmm. is a graphic designer and i work for him part-time and he does all the design work so i gave him a big mood board of like the mood board's mental. It has like, it goes from like Crowley to um, like kind of perturbator, like Neo Tokyo kind of synth wavy mm-hmm. imagery. It's like on a spectrum and I kind of spectrumed it out. And then like kind of um, like, you know, like tarot reading signs, like neon signs you would see in like a weird kind of yeah. bourbon street if it was for like woo-woo people, um, that <laughs> kind of vibe. And it was all in there. And I just said, kind of mush all that together and give me something. And then he gave me a, a template to use all the Instagram stuff is all in this beautiful template that I just like drop in the names each time. Um, 
And so for your one, exactly, like, you know, it's just like, okay, I grab these kind of images and I'll grab this and these kind of colors suit the feel and then it all just kind of works together. And I just, it, he's made the template so good that I can't really fuck it up. It's just like, sweet. It's always going to look good. <laughs> and then hopefully if he ever calls me and says, hey, would you do that last one? I'm like, fuck, okay. You know, so it's like, it's a good way to keep me reined in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think the other thing too is like, I think something that I never thought about that's definitely become more prevalent over the years of doing this is like, that obviously being that this is the easy, I feel like the easiest part about doing this podcast is recording the conversation. <laughs> like that's that's the part. I mean, that's this is a piece of piss for me. Like I can talk to anyone, I can talk to anyone about anything basically. But I can I can talk to anyone about music for a long time. So, but like the uh, you know the internet part of it is where it's like, all right, I better post a thing. I gotta do this, and then like. I mean, I think I, maybe I said it when I was talking to you, but like the biggest problem for me always initially was like organizing guests. Like that became such an arduous task. And then I was like, why have I done this to myself? I should have just done it by myself. Like, Oh man. And like, that's, I might be putting words in Matt's mouth, but I think that's a, one of the big reasons why Keith Solomon kind of fell apart was because between like band practice and nights of work and gigs on the weekend, there's only pretty mm. much like Tuesday nights is when we basically record a lot of the episodes and then like you have someone booked in all week for the next tuesday it's like yeah we cool for tuesday right and like yep cool 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 and then like tuesday day they're like oh sorry bro i got a bail and it's like oh for fuck's sake so it was just like that's your only night and then you lose your window for that week yeah. you gotta do it again the next week and it's just like you know and again like it's probably because they were guest number six on the show or something and they're like i'm not fucking coming <laughs> on this show i don't give a fuck get to 50 and then we'll yeah. see how we go so um yeah that was definitely and i agree with you it's organizing the guests you've been fantastic being a podcast being like what time are we on for we're we gonna do this blah, blah blah like just solid communication <laughs> like if this was a facebook marketplace sale it'd be like five stars excommunication you know <laughs> On time, I'm glad I got a good as, <laughs> as promised. Um, so yeah, so I think yeah, you're right. It's the recording. It's easy. It's like the editing it and then like putting you know like the intro music in and recording the intro. Like, dude, the amount of times I yeah. re-record my like post rambles is just like it's always like the seventh one when you hear it on the podcast because I'm just like, no, nah, fuck, start again, and then just like just keep oh yeah, tripping over words I and had- dumb shit. The like because I've been doing these at a relatively high volume. I keep forgetting which one is which and then I'll record like three in a week and I'll do the intros like right after I finish them and then uh, on the like one of the ones I've just finished doing I recorded the whole intro put it together mastered it everything ready to go and then I like looked at all the numbers and I was like motherfucker I said the same number as the one before it so I had to go and like pull the intro out re-record the whole intro i felt like because i i said like 86 or something twice and i felt like just saying 87 and just putting 87 over top of every time i I said i did that the other day so like uh (laughs) episode 18 of my show with aaron from total unicorn i said in the car like when we were recording it i said the wrong number so i just like went back to my car the next day with the recorder and just said you know, welcome to Fucky Tarly episode number 19. And then I just dropped that in over the top of the whole thing because I was like, I'm not going to like, yeah, I'm not going to fuck up the nu- the numbering on my podcast is already fucked as it is because like it's all one off because number one, the episode is actually number two. So now if you look on Apple oh, Podcasts, classic. yeah, it's shit. So I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Anyway, we can, we can ramble about the ins and outs of the you know just the, the minutia of podcasting <laughs> third world problems of being a podcaster but we probably should talk yeah. about this record because people are probably going to be like i don't give a fuck yeah, about thanks. this guy thanks for keeping me on track here um we were spiraling 
Um, all right. So, so you chose Miss Machine by Dillinger. Yep. Um, what? Why this record? Why did you choose this record? Uh, well, so I recently just did, you know, that top 20 albums that everyone's doing at the moment. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's giving, you know, you and your listeners and the guests you've had on to talk about their records, like a good chance to think about what they really kind of dig on or what yeah. they, what really kind of means something to them. And I had Ioworks, the album after this, in my top 20, mainly because it's mm-hmm. more produced and it's more... I don't know. It's just, I think to me, that's kind of what Dillinger sounds like. This album is their second one, but it's the first one with Greg, their vocalist that we all all now know and love uh, from, you know, uh, other things. Killer Be Killed, Spilacopa. He's got his own thing now, just called Greg Pusciato, I think. Um, And he's lovable and great. And I think that's kind of what people assume when they think Dillinger. They think Ben swinging a guitar around wildly, very violently, and they think of Greg climbing on someone in the crowd. So um, I wanted to pick this one because it's... I think it's an interesting point for them because it feels like the beginning of what we now know as Dillinger and the artwork is kind of fucking crazy. And it's actually, uh, yeah, yeah. Mel's got it on vinyl here. So I've actually got it if we need to look at anything. Cause I've noticed it in some mm-hmm. of your other episodes, people will be like, oh yeah, which one's the song with the thing? And it's like, oh yeah, shit. Like <laughs> if I had it in front of me, at least I'll be able to like quickly reference it as quick as possible and, and keep the show rolling without people like screaming into their car stereos, you know? <laughs> Telling you what it is to no one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you know? Don't you know, Rory? It's like, yeah, no, sorry. Whoops. Um, so, yeah, so I picked that one just because, uh, and it, I guess it was my first real uh, kind of, what's the, what am I trying, what's the word? My first exposure to Dillinger Escape Plan. I didn't, I probably sure. wouldn't have heard Calculating Infinity or like the EPs before this. This would have been the first thing that I kind of got my ears on and, kind of hasn't really let go of since you know like it's something that is just always with me and I listen to it quite a bit um and I always kind of find new things about it that I enjoy or maybe things I found a little bit weird like we'll talk about in this podcast but um yeah it's definitely it's a wild fucking ride man like the whole thing is yeah kind of bullshit. I mean it's certainly it's certainly a weird record like <laughs> I mean in 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 the scope of like I mean, in the scope of things that I've been listening to lately and, and certainly records that I've talked about so far on this, like, um, you know, this is one of the ones that doesn't sit so in line with, I guess, the standard structures of music and things like that. So, um, but when, when did you first hear that? When did you first hear this then? So, was oh. this the first thing you heard by Dillinger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking about this really hard because I know this is a question you ask all the other guests and I'm like, fuck, I don't actually know. I think I'm <laughs> trying to trace back the origins of when I first kind of heard of Dillinger. I think they were kind of one of those bands that, so I guess to paint for the listeners a bit of a, a, bit of a, a scene around it all, I, was, I grew up in Geelong and mm-hmm. we had a very thriving scene at that time when you're talking like scene bands, metalcore bands, hardcore bands, whatever you want to call it, bands like the yeah. Redshaw came out of there. And, um, you know, that was kind of like, you know, the Saturday day thing. You'd go to the Potato Shed in um, Drysdale and you'd go watch all the old ages hardcore bands play shows. And then it would have come from there because I was originally a metal dude and I had like long hair and I was like, I don't listen to any of that fucking scene stuff. And then, you know... Yep you kind of fall into it because it just kind of enveloped the whole town in a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. It captured the youth most specifically. Like I think the metal scene that was in Geelong at the time was like old dudes with beards with their arms folded at the back sure. of shows, you know, and then all the youth were making this kind of music. And I think I kind of got sucked in that way. And then, you know, bands like The Abandonment, um, when they played down in Geelong, kind of like shook me for 
just like it shook me out of whatever I thought I knew about this whole scene. And then you're like, oh, whoa, yeah. it's like it could be brutal and technical and precise, but insane and kind of aggressive. Um, so I think that was to me is where I kind of caught that bug, I think, from the local scene doing kind of more technical, precise metalcore, whatever you want to call that. Um, and then yeah. I'm sure one of those dudes would have had like a Dillinger shirt on either on stage or like in that scene, you know, like, you know, when you know bands yeah, only yeah. from like dudes wearing the merch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's how I've learnt of every band that I love is <laughs> yeah. from someone wearing a shirt. So, I'm sure I would have seen like a Dillinger shirt and it probably would have been a cool person. So, I would have been like, oh, yeah, cool. Keep that on the radar. But I I remember at the time how I was listening to all of my music. So, this would have been about like year 11 uh, at school. Mm-hmm. So, I would have been like, uh, what year would that have been? Like 2004, 2005. Um, so, yeah. like I was listening to music on my PSP at the time. That was my music device of choice just because yeah i don't know how to justify that you had it on you yeah i had it on me at school you could watch movies on it you could play music on it you could play games on it it was a one-stop shop Mm -hmm. so i have a distinct memory of dillinger being on that psp and like uh, listening to it then and i remembered like it was just noise it was like you know when people always talk about like heavy metal and it's like oh it's just fucking noise or screaming whatever that was the first (laughs) time then i couldn't justify it to myself i was like this is just fucking nonsense like and it almost it tricks you into keep listening like i don't know what it is about that but it's like you just want to keep you like you want to go back it's almost like you hear it and you're like oh no and you turn it off but then it kind of swims around in your brain you're like i kind of need to give another go Mm. and uh that definitely happened with dillinger because i can't really remember anyone like handing it to me you know when you remember like some of those key bands that you love it's like a friend burnt you a cd or gave you a tape or whatever i can't remember who kind of shone the dillinger light but um yeah but i just remember being like completely kind of enthralled with it first scared by i guess like cradle of filth was another similar one when i was probably in about like grade six year seven where you're like oh no it's it's too brutal it's too much and then you kind (laughs) of slowly it's like it's like the bath being too hot and then eventually you're like no no no, this is cool i can wade into this and uh it was very similar with. next thing you know you've got a you got a jesus is a cunt shirt on (laughs) and you're you're all in Matt actually sent me a link on Depop the other day to someone selling one of those Jesus is a cunt shirts, but they'd put a nice emoji over the word so you couldn't read it, but it was like, bought it, never really worn it, wasn't game enough, selling it for 70 bucks. And I was like, yeah, true that. Like, who actually would have the balls to wear that? I had one, wore it maybe five times in my life. And I would only ever wear it under a jumper so mum couldn't see the back of it. I'm sure she doesn't know that I even owned it. So I would you, wash you, it when she wasn't at home. <laughs> it was a real, like, there was no way I was getting away with that. And I had a Blood Duster cunt shirt as well. And, like, the the pair of them had to be, like, real strict regime of wearing those shirts in, in yeah, the household. That's it. Like, I didn't do my washing as a teenage boy. So, like, if I had that shirt, I would <laughs> like, it would have ended up in the washing pile and mum would have been like, what is this? So, yeah, no, I didn't even bother with that. Um Fuck, how do we get on to fuck? We're getting very distracted in this podcast. Um, no, no, that's fine. It's, any any conversation about Cradle of Filth <laughs> is acceptable. I'll take that's it. Good. I'm always looking for um, excuses to talk about Cradle of Filth. I, I was thinking about this as well because, I mean, this certainly wasn't the first thing I heard by Dillinger. I mean, because I guess when, when I heard them, I heard them because of the EP with Mike Patton. And yes. It was like during high school when my friends and I were all going through, you know, the motions of really deeply getting into Faith No More. And then 
every other thing that he did. Like, mm. I mean, we we all liked Mr. Bungle a lot. And, uh, like, I really loved all the Phantomers stuff because I like the Melvins as well. And, and so, just getting into all that. And then I think someone was like, someone in school was like, you know, one of those friends was like, oh, you got to hear this thing too. It's like a metalcore band that he sings for. And I like couldn't, couldn't believe that he did that. And then I really, I really liked that. I mean, I think, you know, probably more particularly because I really like him as a singer. Mm. Um, but then listening to this, I mean, I feel like this record has like, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but like so much of the singing and so much of like the chorus arrangement and stuff on this record sounds like it was written for Mike Patton. Like it sounds like it was, or at least that dude Greg was still like, they were taking heavily from the thing they'd just done before it or whatever. Completely. I agree with you. I think that, uh, yeah, whether or not it was planned or whether or not Greg was just like, fuck it, I'll just sound like Mike Patton because that was sweet. And then kind of that slowly evolved. And I think that's probably what makes Iwerks and then kind of like, you know, uh, the later albums kind of post that a little bit more Dillinger-y because this just feels like you're exactly right. He's just ripping off Mike Patton. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not bad though. Like, I think it's good. I mean, I think like, I mean- like that song, Setting Fire to Sleeping Giants. It's like, I mean, it it sounds like Mike Patton to me. Like, I, I actually stopped for a minute and I was like, is that him? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, but it's re- it's good. And I mean, I think, I think the other thing too is, I mean, obviously a really smart move for a band like this. Because I mean, Mike Patton's obviously a great singer, but as well, you know, he, by this point in his career had, you know, been quite prolific already with, obviously all the faith no more stuff and you know and then in more the more metal scene with things like you mr bungles and phantomers and tomahawk and stuff like that like it really it's you know it, that would have been a really big thing at the time but like i mean it definitely i think the thing that i like about this record is while it is obviously you know quite chaotic and there's you know it's got that you know math core math metal-y type technicality to it most of the songs have like quite hooky choruses mm. and and have quite palatable you know uh overarching like musical parts as well as the hyper technical stuff you know <laughs> yeah and i think that's like uh i never really like i'm a huge dillinger fan self-professed and i still don't go back to calculating infinity if at all. Mm. And then like when they play live, they might do like 43% burnt or something. And I just kind of be like, oh yeah, this is that song. Uh, because it's like, it does just feel like you were talking about before that math, metally, math core, whatever you want to call it. Like that's what the, that's what that sounds like to me, Calculating Infinity. It's just like dudes trying to show yeah. off how they can completely fuck with music. And this does have, yeah, sure. it's, it is way catchy. It does have heaps of hooks and it's just like, oh yeah, like it's actually listenable between the bits of insanity. And I think that that's kind yeah, of like yeah. a fun Whereas, like, Calculating Infinity is just all insanity and it's like, I can't really wrap my head around this except unless I was, like, yeah. a guitar nerd, which I'm not. Well, and I mean, I don't know. And again, like, I don't know if that's where it comes from, but I'm sure it helped doing a recording with someone who comes from, like, you know, a platinum record selling relative, like, pop rock band at points, you know? Like, um, I mean, I'm sure it helped them having someone like that go, like, you can, and I mean, again, I'm sort of like every time I've done this podcast, <laughs> I'm professing my assumptions upon a band. So, I mean, if anyone from the Dillinger Escape Plan ever listens to this and wants to correct me on it, they're more than welcome to. But 
the likelihood of that happening is relatively slim. Um, <laughs> Unless but, you say something I really mean, inflammatory and then like, they'll have to come well, after I mean, you. I, I could. But um, no, I mean, I think like it's, I think it's, it has quite a positive impact on the record because, I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit that stuff like, stuff like this is not really my bag, like not, not the type of stuff that I like listening to, but what gets me into it and makes it makes draws my attention to it is when you know it and with all music for me it's about like the earworm and it's about that riff that you know even if the riff is the most technical annoying thing in the world if it gets hooked in your head it gets hooked in your head you know yeah. and that's the important part and i feel like i feel like while music like this isn't really up my alley this record in particular has a lot of choruses it's got a lot of hooks it's got a lot of riffs that you know, get stuck in your head and things like that too. And I mean, I think like while there are still lots of like bonkers instrumentation and time signatures used and things like that, as long as as long as those are constructed around a theory or a thought process and hopefully like a chorus here or there or something catchy to get you in, you know, and obviously being like coming from the hardcore metalcore scene they've got like breakdowns and stuff like that as well so all that's part all that adds to part of it too but i mean that for me is what makes records like this stand out like that it has that it has that aspect to it and i think that if it wasn't there i it wouldn't have grabbed me the same way it did because like if it was just calculating infinity 2 and i ended up hearing that it probably would have just been like oh yeah this is just noise and it never would have like hooked in like you said and make you think a little bit more mm. about it i think for me, it felt like I wouldn't go to specific songs. Like, I'm a song guy. Like, if, you know, there's a song I like on an album, sure. I might go straight to it. And then you find the songs around the album that you like because it's, like, the second song after the song you like. So, you just don't turn off the, you know, the, the, yeah. the thing. Whereas with this, it's, like, I never jump straight to a song in Dillinger. you got to kind of start from, like, Panasonic Youth and then all the way through because it's, like, I don't know. Maybe once you get used to it and you kind of figure out where the songs start and end, <laughs> that's probably when you can start yeah. to figure out which ones you like. But for me, and I think post Miss Machine and all the other Dillinger records that came out after that, it was always really exciting to just put it on for the first time and just try and figure out. Like, there's nothing. It's like, you know, when people say, oh, I wish I'd never read Harry Potter or I could forget it so I could read it again for the first time. Like, that's kind of how I feel about Dillinger. Like, I wish I could just put on a yeah. Dillinger record for the first time and have it just blow my mind and not know where that, like, the songs start and end and not know where it's going to go. And then, you know, because eventually once you start building up, knowing where it all is, it's like it almost kind of loses the magic a little bit once you can, like, remember the time signatures, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think the other thing too that that I mean has been really common a common thread through through recording this version of the podcast at least is that people are generally speaking picking like I think when I first started the concept was pick your favorite record or pick a record that you really love and then where that seems to have turned to is more like pick a record that you can listen to the whole way through like that's sort of where it's ended up um and you know which which maybe is why it's your favorite or maybe it's why it's something that you really like but i mean i think i think you know i think something obviously playing in bands myself i think the goal when writing a record is always like you want people to want to listen to every song on it you don't want mm. people to just like the first two songs and i mean i know like even with the more recent stuff that i've done it's been such a conscious thought process of like 
not putting the best song first <laughs> you know and like or if it, or if that is the best song why is that the best song and if song eight is not as good as that one then why the fuck is it on the record kind of thing you know like yeah. so like that my thought process with that has changed a lot and i mean and, and i can safely say like there's i exist records where i like look at songs and I'm like, why the fuck did we even record that now? Like, I don't, we never, like, we've never played it live. We've jammed it four times and then recorded it and then it's never been played again. And Listeners, no try and figure ever- out which I Exist songs are filler and have never been played uh, live. <laughs> if if people want to, you can, all you can, all you need to do is look at the Spotify stream count and you can tell which songs we've never played live. <laughs> they're, they're the ones that, you know, me and my mum have listened to once. So. <laughs> what does your mum um, think of your music? Has, um, she li- has she actually listened to like all your stuff? Yeah, I mean, not not. I mean, I'm sure she's not listened to every minute of every song. She doesn't like the singing. She doesn't like like yelling vocals. Um, but she liked the music of I Exist. I think because it's like you know stonery. So she liked the blues element of it. Don't know. I assume she likes Mental Cavity less because she's <laughs> m- more heavy. And she certainly hated the hardcore bands I was in because it, the recordings were terrible. <laughs> so, you know. That, she's like, get a good producer in there. Went. Otherwise, I'm not going to fucking listen to it. You know, it needs to be clean. We're yeah. Like, good couple I mean, of days. <laughs> she, she's, a smart, she's a smart person. I probably should have listened to her more earlier on in my musical career. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, Um, but I mean I think another thing about this record for me too is like I suppose this being their first record with uh, Greg as being the singer I mean this kind of is it's kind of one of those things where like this kind of is the first record then really for the band Mm. if in in this in the sense of that from this point on this is how the band this is like this the I mean, this is the singing that the band has and this is the, you know, where the band ends up. And I'm sure, like, obviously, I, you know, I can hear the Faith No More, Mike Patton style influence on this record. But as you mentioned before, like, from this point, this kind of grows. He grows beyond that and the band grows beyond that. Mm. Um, but it, 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 for all intents and purposes, I think it for what this record is, this is, I mean, really, this is effectively like their first... This is their first album as the band they are. You know? Yeah, very it's much so. It's not the first and album by by the name of the band, but yeah. for otherwise it is, you know. And that's it. And I don't feel super guilty not listening to Calculating Infinity as much because, yeah, like there's, it's kind of, and I even put it on today just kind of in preparation for this show, just putting it on to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I'm like, no, nah, it just kind of sounds like, you know, it's it almost sounds like a Dillinger clone, you know, like a lot of bands sure. will kind of wear that kind of math moniker. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, cool. Like, some of them can make stuff work within that that kind of separates them from other kind of bands. But then listening to Calculating Infinity just feels like a band that hasn't really found the voice yet and math metal or math core or whatever you want to call it doesn't really doesn't really get it over the line for me, listening-wise, because it's just like, nah. Sure. And this actually sounds... Like, the production on this album, on Miss Machine, sounds great compared to Calculating Infinity. You know what I mean? It actually really feels like... Yeah. Um, and all the kind of program stuff underneath and the kind of electronic moments and little jazzy bits. Like, it all feels a lot rounder. It all feels a lot fuller, you know? Yeah. So, do you... Did you... Were other records of, like, 
I suppose peers of this band things that you liked as well or things that you do like now like like I don't know like Converge and the, the more like hardcore metalcore side of it or were you always sort of through this via the more metal end of it it's yeah that's actually funny you say that it's kind of weird like I've never really listened to Every Time I Die. That's another band that I think mm-hmm. I think gets brought up a lot with. It's you know, wh- one of the things I wrote down here is like this. This record has a lot of parts that sound like the first. You know, the first two Every Time I Die records. Yeah, and I mean, I've, again, like uh, pardon my uh, lack of knowledge of this kind of area, but it's kind of no. weird because I think that sometimes like people would be like, "Oh, well, if you like Dillinger, why have you listened to to?" bands like that and it's like oh i don't know like it just didn't grab me the same way and i don't really still know to this day what has grabbed me about dillinger but i think a lot of it has to do with that intensity um Mm -hmm. not just intensity in terms of like the record itself but i guess in the live show like seeing dillinger live is almost as big of a reason why i'm such a huge fan of them as the records themselves because it's not just like that it's about like for example like one of the times when i saw dillinger i think it was can't remember what it was for, but it was at the Hi-Fi, I'm pretty sure, Max Watts, Melbourne. And, like, the moment it started, like, the band had that, like, they, they do, like, strobe lights before it all starts and, like, big kind of um, kicks. And then all of a sudden it just started and Greg jumped into the crowd um, and slapped me right in the face because I was really like close up in the in the at the barrier so <laughs> yeah. he was kind of just like wake up and then like jumped in and then slapped me across the face and i was just like whoa what the fuck and like you know like no other band has literally slapped me across the face with their you sure. know intensity so i think that's a big part of it for me um mm. yeah just just the intensity I'm, i haven't seen a live show other than a dillinger show that that's that intense ever you know yeah i think i i, <clears throat> I don't know i might be wrong and again I don't give a fuck if I am wrong because <laughs> who cares? this is my podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, I think, I feel like I saw these guys when I was really young. Like, I think they maybe, I think maybe I saw them the first time they came to Australia. Um, but, and they played in a very small venue in Canberra. Maybe it was just the first time they came to Canberra, but I was working at a music store at the time. Um, and the guys, a bunch of the guys that worked at the music store worked at this venue that was down the road and they used to very kindly sneak me into shows when I was underage and then when I was off age could get into things for free because I worked with them. Um, and I think, I think I saw them at one of those very little shows the first time they came. I can't, I mean, I can't, I should have looked this up, but I can't for life (laughs) of me remember when it was, but like, I have certainly seen them more times than that. But I, I mean, obviously that was quite an impact as well. Because again, for me, I came from the same thing. Like I came from the metal scene um, in Canberra. Um, and a lot of the bands that I saw that I would later find out were hardcore bands or metalcore bands or whatever. I, you know, I just thought they were metal bands with, but they had short hair. And yeah, and tiny jeans. Was, yeah, exactly. I, like I didn't know anything about that there was like a difference or a delineation at that point or whatever. But I remember, I remember seeing these guys and thinking the same thing, like thinking like, Jesus Christ, this dude's going fucking wild and the guitar player's going wild too. But also still, you know, at that point in my life, listening to technical death metal and working at a music store, I was quite enamored by the fact that he was, you know, ripping wild riffs and things like that too, you know. And also, again, like I also played drums and I like learnt how to play drums kind of properly. So I was very enamored by like, drummers that played 
you know, di- weird time signatures and polyrhythms and things like that. So, I mean, I, I remember being very enamored by by the band the first time I heard them. But I think for me, just music like this, aside from a couple of the bands that fall more in the hardcore realm now, are not bands that I really have continued to listen to. Mm. But I certainly remember, like, having a really big connection or, list, you know, definitely live connection to bands like this when I was younger. Mm. And I think it, it, it is from the live show, you know, and it's from how they- if And a band like this too, being incredibly technical, but then also still being able to put it on, like not just standing dead still and sweet picking, you know, like actually going nuts while you're doing it kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a- uh, Because I'm not a musician, like I, I don't play any instruments- when I go see live shows, I'm not usually as enamored by the guitar playing or the yeah. drumming as, as you know, a musician would be. Like, whoa, look what he's doing. I'm just like, man, I'm just watching and I'm enjoying it. But when you're seeing something like that, that's when I can get really excited because it's like, I know that other bands don't do that kind of shit. You know what I mean? They're not climbing on like PAs and swinging yeah. off stuff and just being absolutely insane. So for me, it was just like a real... I think it's also kind of what people assume like a mosh pit's going to be like when they're like, oh, I'm going to go down to the show and I don't want to get hurt. It's like, that's (laughs) not going to happen. That's going to be fine. You can just stand there with your arms crossed like everyone else and you'll have a fine Mm. time. But like Dillinger, it's like, oh no, you could get injured. Someone could like, you know, swing into you or something could fall on you. Who fucking knows? Like it, I think it becomes a bit like of a wild west for gigs because it's like, who knows what the fuck's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think bands like this definitely get that. I mean, and again- who knows? Could be wrong, but I, sh- you know, I-, I think bands like this get that from, you know, coming from the hardcore scene as well. Because I mean, I would say like relatively broadly, metal in general is is the folded arm man's music. You know, mm. like, and I will be the first to admit that. I mean, I got a fucking crook back, and I, you know, standing up for ten minutes is fucking annoying. So. And I've been playing guitar and drums for most of my adult life. So, when I go to a show, I am definitely standing at the back with my arms crossed as close to the bar yeah. as humanly possible. To- so- totally safe. And I, I think you are right. I think growing up, like, going to the Camberwell Civic Centre or something when I was a kid and, like, watching yeah. those bands play, it's like, if you're anywhere within, like, the outside ring of the, you know, the- mm-hmm mosh slam dance pit whatever you want to call it like yeah there is an element of danger there and that's that definitely must have spread from that right like that kind of insanity of just like yeah oh i went to a gig and like hundreds of dudes were like karate kicking everywhere and stuff and you know but they didn't seem to be connecting with each other yeah well i mean i think i think there's other there's two other things with the performance aspect of that too that i I always connected with is that i mean i think it's what drew me one of the things that drew me into playing in hardcore bands myself was that like I mean, one, I felt far more at home with those people because I felt like there was a lot less judgment and a lot less, like you talked about earlier, everyone focusing on being the most technical thing in the world or whatever. Yeah. And there was a lot more, like, concern about it being good live, like, concern about... And then, and I think from that perspective as well, I feel like that has so... It serves so much more respect for your audience when your concern is more about particularly your performance it doesn't have to be your music but your performance is concerned about how it's going to be perceived live because at the end of the day and i I mean i've talked about this like a million times at this point but like you don't fucking play in bands if you don't want people to pay attention to you (laughs) i mean to me the biggest crock in the world is when people are like 
oh, you know, I just, I, my music's all for me. Okay. Why do you fucking play shows then? Why do you put shirts out there? Like you want, mm. you want people to pay attention to you doing it. And the, it is a performance piece. There's an element to that, to it. You know, it might be nerve wracking. It might increase your anxiety, which it does for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, what you are doing is for the visual interaction with, with an audience. Yeah. And I think for me, hardcore music like this, particularly a band like this, there's a certain level of, you know, a certain level of respect, but also importance that they put on to the crowd. Like the people that have paid money to see this, I don't want them to be fucking bored. You know, like I want them to go home and say, do this, record a podcast about how fucking cool it is when I saw that band and that guy slapped me in the face. You know, like that's something... <laughs> that you'll take away for, for you know from it forever and i mean for me personally like with i exist when we got to a point where we were like you know when the band started it was kind of like had like very serious vibes about it for some reason <laughs> and that ended that ended very quickly because we just had so much fun playing live and it was like for i exist for me it was like i want people to watch us and have fun i want people while they're having fun to recognize that we're having fun mm. And then I want them to leave at the end of the show and go, fuck, that was so funny because of this, 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 this. Like, I don't care if they think about the cool riffs or if it was heavy or if we looked cool in pictures. Like, I want them to think like, and which was like kind of the whole point with our band. And, the, you know, at points in our band where we would do things like play a show with four guitar players, there was actually no musical reason for it. And... If anything, it made the music harder to play live with four people because there was so much noise. But it was just like, you know what? Let's play with four people because this will be funny and people will be talking about it. And then after the show, it was like, what do you remember about the show? This, this, this. Also, I exist play with four guitar players. So, like, <laughs> it, it did it did the job. It did the job we wanted to do. But again, a band like Dillinger, to link it together, that that's like, I mean- even me not being a big fan of the band, a thing that I know about them is they're like legendary for their live performance. Mm. And they're, you know, they're sort of like well known for how wild they they perform live. Yeah, there's been like stories that Greg like shit in a bag like on stage in like Glastonbury or something. Like not Glastonbury, right. but like one of those <laughs> big, I'm doing a you, I'm just making sure. shit up. But it's like he played yeah, on, some, on some big stage. He like took a shit in a bag and was just like, what the fuck? Like the problem, I guess, with, <laughs> with being the band that's crazy live and is always doing crazy shit is you got to keep thinking of doing crazy shit. And it's like, maybe they should sure, do a yeah. gig where they just get to stand there and play like a normal band. But instead it's like 20 years <laughs> had to just fucking climb on people and climb on things. Like I'm sure they're fucking way over that stuff, you know? Well, I think that's why I went more the direction of, like, it being funny and us pulling funny faces and stuff rather than, like, shitting on stuff. <laughs> it made it, made it much easier and cleaner for me. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, when I um when I met Greg, he was doing, like, an in-store signing at uh, Eureka Rebellion. Do you remember that shop at the top of Smith Street? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. They did a Killer Be Killed one. So, like, Troy from Mastodon was there and Max Cavalera was there. Yeah, and sick. Dude from Converge. And... Um, I met him and had a quick chat with him. I'm like, oh, dude, one time when I saw you, you guys slapped, you slapped me in the face. And he's like, oh, are you all right, bro? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm not here to like 
like ripe with you about Start it. Start something. Just wanted yeah. to break the ice in a way that's better than, oh, hey, man, I love your music. It was like, no, you've slapped me. And then he's like, he goes, oh, Eric, that's bad. Check this out. And he like turned around and showed me like the back of his shaved head that was just like heaps of scars. And I was like, oh, what's that from? He's like, oh, Ben's guitar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Makes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Like- <laughs> Here I am complaining about a slap face and this dude is just getting like stabbed in the head by like a headstock multiple times. <laughs> well, that's fine. You know, you, and gotta, you, you go through that. You got to bleed for your art sometimes, I, you know, and I appreciate that. I would say the retort to that is like, I reckon I've hit my fair share of singers in the back of the head with my guitar. <laughs> and then, but the response to that, which I feel has always been really way worse for me, has been... I always get my feet stomped on by the singers. So, like, it's kind of, you know, you crush my foot, I smash the back of your head, we're, we're even, you know. You need to wear some, like, steel cap boots on stage, you know, OH&S. Well, and, yeah, the times that it's happened to me is often been by a singer who is a tradie who's worn steel cap boots and stomped on my feet wearing Vans. So, it's really fucked me up. You get no protection wearing Vans. It's like essentially playing barefoot. Yeah, it's like wearing socks. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of the notes I had on this, actually, and it's very fitting because you're wearing a Nine Inch Nails jumper, I is am. that um, th- the song Phone Home has like a serious, starts with like a serious Nine Inch Nails vibe to it. Mm. Yeah, no, there's, um, there's actually a kind of cool link between Dillinger and uh, Nine Inch Nails that I did a bit of as, in doing research for this show I didn't even fucking know this and I was stoked so there was a band called Error that existed like, mm-hmm. a, like a computer Error that has Atticus Ross who is now I guess like the other man in Nine yeah, Inch Nails yeah Trent partner yeah even though he never fucking talks man there's this hilarious BBC doco um, and it's like him and Trent sitting on the couch and like I think Atticus literally says like one sentence and like all the YouTube comments are like oh shut the fuck up Atticus let Trent talk <laughs> so it's really funny that he's always like brought up and he's always like in interviews even though he says nothing but I mean he is probably making heaps of rad shit in Nine Inch Nails because he's been kind of a, a collaborator for some time but uh, in like 2001 I think it was he did this band called Error with the guy from Bad Religion who runs Epitaph what's his name Brett Brett someone mm-hmm. Brett um, Gurewitz that's the one so it was those two dudes started this band that was essentially it sounds like youth code about like 20 years early um, like yeah. kind of hardcore but with like a real digital kind of dancey beat and then they had Greg singing over that just before I think he joined Dillinger so yeah right and then like you can also look up the first time um the first time that they played out here that i think i probably caught wind of it was when they played soundwave the year that nine inch nails was the headline and like in perth um dillinger get out on stage with nine inch nails and do wish which is really cool um oh yeah sick also on the they did a plagiarism excuse me they did a plagiarism ep that had wish on it as well so it's like dillinger have always probably worn that Nine Inch Nails love pretty uh, yeah. on their sleeve pretty well. So, yeah, so it is it is pretty weird because I think I probably... <laughs> um, you already had a guy, the dude from Harm's Way, talk about Pretty Hate Machine yeah. on your show already. So, I was like, fuck, well, I can't talk about Nine Inch Nails. So, we better talk about <laughs> uh, Dillinger. Um, but I think for me, the thing about both of those bands and the thing that I like so much is... It's that kind of four-dimensional element, you know? It's not just the record. It's not just the music that you mm-hmm. hear. It's also the live show, the look, the feel. With with Nine Inch Nails, I guess it's a lot more to do with, like, their lighting setup. Um, I don't know if anyone knows, yeah. but, like, 
Trent Reznor's always banging on about how like Kanye West stole his lighting techs and stuff to, for his shows. He's like, <laughs> I invented this shit. Fucking Kanye stole it. Yeah, you can look it up. I'm not afraid to kind of tell. Like, and, and of course that would be the case because Trent's a bit of an innovator in that stuff. But like, you know, like I think th- both of those bands are the kind of bands that like you need to go and see them live when they play because it's like you're going to, it's going to be an yeah. amazing show. Um, and I think yeah. that's a big thing of, for me, what makes a, a band like one of my favorite bands is because if they're a great band, but they suck live, it's like, well, then how can you really truly love them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So w- like, would you, would you say like a Dillinger com- comfortably one of your favorite bands? Yeah. Oh man. I'm obsessed. Like I've seen them six or seven times. I think um, every time yeah. it's been like a wild show. I listen to it a lot. I listen to it when I'm cleaning the house. Like that's something that we mm-hmm. like when I just moved into this new place uh, with my girlfriend, we um, essentially did this massive cleanup. We just did like all Dillinger day and it was just like, I'm not over this yet. So I think that if you can listen to Dillinger all day <laughs> while like scrubbing a bathroom, I think it's definitely, um, it's definitely up there for me for sure. I don't, I, again, but the thing is I can't put my finger on what that is. I think it's just, it's very cinematic as well. Something that I think about a lot is like the music videos for this album, they did three and they're all pretty garbage. If you ask me, um, just because it doesn't <laughs> capture, it doesn't really capture the intensity of the band. Like it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really help you get it, you know? And then when you listen to it, it's like, yeah. it's like when you read a book and then you see the movie version and then the guy is not the version that you expected him to look like, you know, it's like, how yeah, do you, sure. How do you visualize Dillinger when you just hear it? Because for me, it's like total anarchy. You know, like it's, it's, uh, I, what did I write down here? I wrote the song Highway Robbery that it's like, you never imagine bringing a loaded gun. Like that whole thing to me is like, what the fuck? Like it just, because it gives, it paints you this picture of like, you know, yeah, someone's brought a loaded gun to the ballroom. And it's like, to me, that's just like a wild thought. And it's like, is it, because, you know, a Dillinger escape plan, is like, is it about John Dillinger? Is it like a 30s bank robber, like going into a ballroom with a Tommy gun? Or like, you know, it starts to <laughs> play yeah, on yeah. your mind a little bit. And the song titles like Sunshine, The Werewolf and other fucking random stuff like that. It's like, it just, it really opens a door for me, I guess, creatively to just think about it. When I think at the time, especially in that kind of, you know, in that time, I guess you had like hardcore bands that are always singing about unity and family and respect and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you got like emo bands singing about like love and loss. And then you've got like metal bands singing about murder and like decapitations and stuff. Like this was just <laughs> this weird outlier where they're just kind of singing about weird yeah. stuff. But then funnily enough, in the bathroom cleaning times of recent where we were listening to Dillinger again, we're like, <laughs> man, these lyrics are kind of fucked. Like, I never really realised how misogynist they all kind of sound. Like, it just sounds like Greg's really pissed at some, like, ex-girlfriend of his or something. And then now that I've kind of, that clicked in my brain, I kind of can't unhear that now. Like, a lot of the lyrics are like... Uh-huh kind of gross and he's like one of the lyrics is like you're a cum rag and something else and all this stuff and you're like oh man that makes me just feel weird now you know like that intensity is kind of dulled a little bit if it's just about him being sad about some breakup it's like oh for fuck's sake you know get a bit more creative (laughs) (laughs) well you know i mean that being said as well like i've definitely played on some very um questionable things (laughs) in my life that, that i I would rather forget. So I mean, I'm sure even even bands like Dillinger Escape Plan are 
can succumb to this problem as well. And romance seems to be a you know a huge motivator in the arts world. You know what I mean? I feel like nothing would get done creatively, or you know, even like going to space if it wasn't for like wanting to impress some girl. So I understand that it's going to drive a lot of what we produce as people, like in the arts and <laughs> in engineering, or I don't yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's expressing feelings. Like I I get that. I yeah. mean, I think. I think a big a big part of that stuff for me though is like when you where you get I mean for me particularly with music like that stuff is not I don't feel like I mean in the singing that I have done and lyric writing that I've done it's never been a way for me to like vent my personal feelings too much like there have, mm. there have been some things but it's certainly never been about relationships or things like that for me I mean that being said I do write a lot of songs about Star Trek so you know, maybe Do you really? really venting. Oh yeah, I've written like I think there's four mental cavity songs that are about Star Trek. So In what way are they about you know. Star Trek? Are you are you doing like your own fan fiction inside the lyrics or is it more just like so, general Yeah, what one one song is like a straight up fan fiction. Um <laughs> and then one song is like basically just how I interpreted a synopsis of an episode effectively. <laughs> Those are the two that come to mind. There's certainly another couple that are about Star Trek, but I mean the two that de- I mean the yeah the one that the one that's like a fan fiction. Um, I basically wrote like if um, Picard went mad being in space, like because he was in space for so long, it drove him insane, and so like he started, you know, space becomes the bad guy in the in the narrative of the lyrics, and it's Picard like fighting with space that's a fucking brutal enemy too because it's infinite and it's just like all exactly consuming, Can't you know? win. Like, yeah it's very like lovecrafty and very cosmic horror i like that a lot you know my love for trek knows no bounds um <laughs> i love your love for trek anyway. man you need a little like enterprise pin for your jacket or something i think Do you have i have like an that? enterprise tattoo no oh, you can see that Whoa. oh that's amazing which is basically on my chest so Fuck I'm yeah, so glad Star you have Trek. that. That's so good. I love your commitment to Star Trek. Um, where where were we anyway? Should we should we talk more who, about this uh, thing? Who knows? I mean, the the only my only other big my only other big question for you is that if you again because again because me my you know in in my own thoughts of Dillinger like the thing if I think about Dillinger for me I just go oh listen to the Mike Patton EP it's great because mm. I like Mike Patton a lot but if if you were sort of pitching this out to someone who hadn't listened to the band before or was new to it. Would this be the thing that you would pitch to them or would it be something like Ioworks, for example? I think it would probably be like this or Ioworks. Also that EP, like it's on Spotify, it's probably on Apple Music, it's on all that stuff as well. Like that Mm. EP with Mike Patton is fucking awesome. And the fourth track is a cover of Aphex Twins' Come to Daddy, which, man, speaking of music videos, not, not... disappointing that video for apex twin comes to daddy has got to be the most <laughs> fucking terrifying thing i've ever seen in my life i still have like weird like i still <laughs> watch it with trepidation sometimes you kind of like oh yeah i think i'm ready to watch this fucking thing and it just gets weirder and weirder um and then having mike Patton do those vocals and get real fucking weird towards the end of that is like like what a cool thing that you never thought would ever happen that happened you know like so i i yeah. think I think, yeah, probably this or iWorks, but I mean, it's tricky. Like songs like Milk Lizard on iWorks is like super catchy. It's just like a rock and roll song. It doesn't necessarily yeah. break into too much mathy 
nonsense. So I don't think it could scare people off. And I remember like Milk Lizard was in the soundtrack for, it was either Saints Row 2 or 3, the GTA ripoff game. Did you ever play any of those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, in my opinion, Saints Row 3, better than GTA 4. Oh, no, I'm sorry, listeners, that's a controversial call. But it's <laughs> controversial. like, it feels way more of a spiritual success at a, like, San Andreas, where you can, like, dress your dude up and you get him buff, or you can, like, you know, it just feel like, I don't want to yeah. be Nico Ballack. It's so depressing, you know? It's just like, <laughs> hey, uh, sad, go bowling with cousin. It's like, I want to fucking shoot people with a dildo gun. And, like, that's something that you can do in Saints Row, which is way more fun. And it's got Milk Lizard on the rock and roll station, so you can just, like, make a custom playlist and just have Milk Lizard always come on when you jump in a car. So that song, <laughs> that song reminds me a lot of driving around in Saints Row. Um, but, yeah, I think it is hard because I don't know how to tell people to give it a go because I think with me it just kind of hooked in and it's something that I kept going back to even though when I first heard it I was like what the fuck is this you know and I think when people listen to this if they're that way inclined after listening to this show they're just gonna be like Rory you picked a fucking stupid record why don't you talk about something normal like Danzig or you know (laughs) (laughs) but I I I think think it's I think it's wild I think it's fun that's good I mean I think I think the other thing too is like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go through the things that trigger it in your mind as well. Like, I mean, often people say, like, I mean, I've had a lot of people say because I've quite unabashedly, very, you know, publicly advertise how much I love I hate God, and people are like, what's their best record? And I was like, I can tell you their best record, but like, you won't, that won't convince you that they're a great band. Mm. Like, what will convince you they're a great band is this, and like, I mean, the other thing that I remembered about. <clears throat> dillinger that always really stood out to me was i also deeply deeply love pop music from as we talked about on your podcast like seeing michael jackson and like having so much in-depth like ingrained stuff with that for me i think a big thing for me with this too was like they did a justin timberlake cover and it's fucking great yes and like that that to me was like a big i remember whenever i heard that must have been in school at some point like that was another big thing for me as well was like oh this band is doing a like a cover like a straight cover basically of a really popular pop song and that's great like i love that they did that you know oh man and like greg is such a like i think he wishes he was just singing in like a 90s r&b band like you can hear that in (laughs) his side project black queen it's like this kind of sexy in excess kind of like i don't know how you would describe his uh, a vocal approach in that but i've i've heard him talk in interviews before that he's into like real like 90s r&b kind of stuff so it's like it would make sense for them to all be like oh let's just do like a sexy justin timberlake song and like play it straight (laughs) you know um yeah (laughs) yeah i think that's great of them to be able to do that i think yeah Oh, it, it is it is kind of an inex, in, inaccessible band uh, unless you just got to kind of dive in. I would say just jump straight into uh, this uh, this record, like jump into Miss Machine, Panasonic yeah. Youth. Uh, it's it's wild, and if you can get through like maybe a song and a half of that, you won't know when the song ends and when the next one starts if you're not looking on Spotify. But just like see how long. Maybe it's like a Wim Hof challenge, you know? Like just be <laughs> do Dillinger for as long as you can, deep breaths, you know, breathe through it, and then maybe you can get to the whole album, and then you can get to the satisfying hooks at the end like setting fire to sleeping giants which i think is beautiful like it is it's very mike patney yeah. and it's like super catchy and it's um yeah there's some real emotion there's a real heart to that and i think that it really cuts through the recording you can kind of hear that and that's that's what kind of definitely kind of rings true for me is it's just like oh yeah there's like real stuff going on on the other side of that you know whereas sometimes it feels quite manufactured yeah. mm, that's sick well <clears throat> 
um it wouldn't be yeah true podcast fashion if i didn't talk to you about what you've got planned and coming up for yourself with your podcast what's sort of on the horizon for you obviously taking the approach doing it like like this as well doing it remotely and stuff like that well i think that like uh for the listeners this is tuesday night when as of tomorrow we're allowed to have five people at our houses again correct yeah so it's like yeah reality comes back a bit tomorrow yeah but i think what this has done is it's just made me realize how easy it is to do um to do podcasts remotely and actually sound quite good, especially if you record both ends of the conversation. You know, there might be a little bit of yeah. a gap or maybe like an awkward laugh between the two of us before, before we wait to see someone else is going to talk. But, you know, that's it's fine. exactly. And everyone's used to it now because everyone's been listening to podcasts in ISO where that's going to happen. And at least both of our mics are like plugged in on our end. So it sounds great. So <laughs> um, if I could do a little bit more of that, like I'd like to get a couple more people on that i might not be able to reach um like for example like people would come down from say like sydney or something if they were down i'd get them on the podcast and now it kind of feels like well maybe we could just do it remotely now instead of waiting for them to come down because i think it would usually for me would just tie in with shows and because there's not going to be shows for a while like if i'm looking for guests it's not going to be based on a, a thing that they're playing at the tote next week or something so it's like fuck um uh a friend of Mal's is a producer in Canada and she just was working on the Snowpiercer TV show. So I want to have oh, a chat sick. to her about that and um, what Jennifer Connelly's like. I'm sure she's probably lovely. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that'll come up soon. We're, we've uh, talked about trying to get her a mic on her end so we can have a chat. But I don't know how I'm going to swing a tarot card all the way to Vancouver. So <laughs> have to see how we go yeah, with that you can one. Just take, you can just take photos of the whole deck and just tell her to pick at random. That's actually a really great idea. Just like splay it out and be like, draw on yeah. the Facebook messenger, which one you want to pull Tell out. me which one you want and I'll pull it out. <laughs> which one calls to you. Um, but yeah, so maybe a couple more in uh, in isolation. But at the same time, I'm very excited to, like I said, just recently moved into a new place um, with my girlfriend Mal and it's great. So I've got a mad big setup uh, nerd room. I call it the Sanctum, Sanctum 2.0. Um, it's got all my stuff in here. It's got all my custom lighting and cool shit on the walls and stuff. So it'll be really great to have guests in here and, and have it that again, because as you know, Aaron, it's very difficult to, or it's not difficult, but it's way more fun to just do the conversation in person with drinks without having oh, to worry yeah. about so much of this hoopla. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think I'm looking forward to getting back to, well, because <clears throat> I mean, I haven't done this in face to face with someone in like three years or something because as of starting this again i've been doing it all like this so like i am looking forward to doing it normally again and just to see a human being in real life is another (laughs) big thing for me (laughs) you're sick of seeing people on pixelated screens yeah exactly you know i think i think laptops webcam production is going to be so different now after corona world because like my one is terrible it's beneath the screen so like it's essentially just a nose a nostril view of my fucking face (laughs) and then if i if i tilt it down you see keys on the keyboard if it was straight so it's like for fuck's sake laptop makers like get the fucking 1080p get around this (laughs) yeah really good microphones so you know i think that's a that's a positive for the world Mm. that everyone now if we ever use a webcam from now on it's gonna be like oh yeah after covid19 remember that you have to always have stock standard delicious high def video in all your laptops and computers now so you know you don't have to fucking worry about garbage quality audio and video but um (laughs) 
Well, hopefully we can get that happening before we get stuck and trapped in another pandemic and oh, having man. to deal with this stuff again. Isn't that the most terrifying thing? It's like, we're going to come out of this and then it's just like, what happens if there's another one where it's like, we don't have the vaccine? Oh, and it's like, I mean, right, you know the drill, everyone. Yeah. Back to the back to 2020. I mean, it's going to happen again. It's going to have to. Like, there's no there's no possible way it's not going to. Mm. I hope this has given everyone a chance to kind of take stock of where they want to be, what needs to be in their house at all times. Keep a bunch of toilet, toilet paper in. Read your mind, man. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be good. I'm I'm very excited. I'm just excited for gigs to come back, man. Like it's just going to be so good yeah. to be able to drink a beer and like watch uh, your mates band play and then just like have a sick time. Like that's yeah. I didn't realize that this was going to go for this long and how much you miss it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm certainly looking forward to that as well. Um. All right. Well, I'll wrap it up there, but thank you very much for coming and chatting about the record and um, fucking everyone go listen to Fuck You Tara Lady. Oh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, you can search F-U-T-L because I can't put fuck in the title because Apple Podcasts like barred me like three times. And then I was like, ah, fuck. So I would try and do like the asterisks, but then you have to like search like F asterisks, you C-K, you know, so it didn't work. So I've, it's just called F-U-T-L. So you can search F-U-T-L on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the Aaron episode up there, which we did uh, last week and was real fun. So that'd be a good entry point awesome. for you guys. And thank you for letting me shamelessly plug my show. <laughs> pleasure now everyone go immediately and listen to me talking to rory again in a different platform <laughs> yeah it's kind of the same but not and we talk about star trek probably just as much perfect well thanks mate see you man